<laughs> you come seek an adventure and salt the old pirates, eh? Salty old pirates, salty old pirates, this be the place. Dead men tell no tales. <laughs> Don't tell him, Carlos. Don't be chicken. I am not chicken. I will not talk. It's a good lad. Come on now. Don't scare him. We want the red. W. Hello, my friend. Happy anniversary. I'll explain that later. And welcome to the WW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangello, and this is show number 474. And I'm here once again to not only help you have the best possible vacation experience when you come to the parks, but I also want to help bring you a little bit of Disney magic with this podcast, videos, live broadcasts on Facebook every Wednesday night, my books, new book, I'll get to that later, audio tours and more. You can find everything over at the brand new, recently relaunched 10th anniversary edition of www.radio.com. So long before Johnny Depp helped bring Pirates of the Caribbean to life on the big screen, the attraction has been one that has delighted guests going back to Disneyland in 1967. And while every great Disney attraction is rooted in story, Sometimes, as in the case of Pirates, the stories behind the scenes and how it came to be are as fascinating, intriguing, and filled with secrets you probably never knew. So this week, I invite you to sit closer together and keep your ruddy hands on board, because that's going to be the best way to not only repel borders, but to find out some secrets and stories you never knew about Pirates of the Caribbean. Mark well my words, matey. I'll then have the answer to our last Walt Disney World trivia question of the week and pose a new challenge for your chance to win a Disney prize package. Then stay tuned to the end of the show. I'll have more information about not just upcoming meets of the month for February, but some special events, announcements, my new book, the new site, some other things coming down the pike and more. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WW Radio Show. Before we get into this week's show, I want to start off by saying thank you again because of you. This week, we are actually celebrating the 10-year anniversary of WW Radio. I have been completely overwhelmed and humbled by your messages and posts and photos. So thank you for that. Uh, I, I, of course, have to thank the entire WW Radio blog and editorial team. Um, I could not do any of this without them and the, the sharing of their time and their talent and their photos and their stories and their passion for Disney. If you haven't checked out the blog, please go and do it. And while you're there, you're going to notice as part of the kickoff celebration, you can also check out the brand new, recently relaunched, new WDW Radio site. 
It is completely redesigned and built from the ground up. It is more streamlined, it's faster, it's even easier to navigate, lots of new features as well. When you're there, I also have a present for you. I have a brand new book, which is free for you. You can find it on the homepage of WW Radio. It is 102, obviously, things that you need to do at Walt Disney World at least once. It's a mini book slash checklist. All you need to do is subscribe to our newsletter. If you already do, don't worry. I will send you a link to download it. Also, if you haven't liked the WDW Radio page over on Facebook, please go and do so. Facebook.com slash WDW Radio and help spread the word. Invite your friends working on some new things that are going to be released exclusively on and at Facebook. And of course, I want you to be part of the celebration. So this Wednesday during the WW Radio live video broadcast and show at 7.30 p.m. Eastern over on Facebook.com slash WW Radio. It is going to be a, a completely call-in show. I want you to call in and share your favorite episode, your favorite interview, your favorite event, memory, story, how we met, uh, how the show has impacted you or your vacation, whatever it might be. It's really going to be a show that is driven by and because of and with you. Again, that's 7.30 p.m. Eastern over at Facebook.com slash Radio. There are many more plans in uh, in the works as we celebrate the decade-long anniversary of the show together. And all I ask while you're waiting is please help spread the word. Invite your friends to be part of it. And once again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I would obviously not be here without you. We'll talk more about the anniversary and some of the upcoming plans on Wednesday night. But for now, on with the show. Ye come seeking adventure and salty old pirates, eh? Sure, you've come to the proper place. But keep a weather eye open, mates, and hold on tight. With both hands, if you please. There be squalls ahead, and Davy Jones waiting for them what don't obey. <laughs> don't tell him, Carlos. Don't be chicken. We all know that the Disney movies and the attractions in the parks are based on story. It's the story of the princess, the mysterious legend of the Yeti, the little boy who wouldn't grow up, and the list obviously goes on and on and on. But I think for some attractions, the story of the attraction itself is interesting and sometimes circuitous and detailed and as is as compelling as the fables that maybe they were based on. You know, like the the genesis of the original Haunted Mansion in Disneyland, for example, is one such attraction. And another is Pirates of the Caribbean. And long, long before the audio animatronic Johnny Depp poked his head out from the inside of a barrel, the stories and the details and the hidden secrets of Pirates of the Caribbean attraction add uh, another wonderful, rich layer to this classic theme park Experience, which not only you know spawned a wildly successful franchise of movies, but I think a renewed interest in the genre and the the real stories of pirates. So this week we're going to look at Pirates of the Caribbean, not necessarily discussing what you can see, 
but maybe some of the things that you haven't before as we explore 10-ish secrets of Pirates of the Caribbean. And joining me this week is a man who, like the attraction itself, is not just a legend, but is swirled in history and mystery and intrigue. He is an author, raconteur, and as much a character as Davy Jones himself, he is not Captain Kangaroo, but instead he is he is Captain Jimmy Corcus. Alas, ye swabs, you know. Fair warning, have ye spoilers ahead. <laughs> there are going to be spoilers ahead. There's lots of good spoilers ahead. I, 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 Lou, always, always a joy uh, uh, to see you. And uh, uh, it, it's, it's always a pleasure to be your uh, uh, first mate, even though your real <laughs> first mate is, is a super cutie. Uh, it, 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 it's great on a podcast. Uh, to, uh, to be your first mate as we we sail these uh, uh, dangerous uh, seas ahead of us, you know. And uh, I, I was just thinking lately, you know, uh, that the concept of theme park, if theme is a story and park is a place, then a theme park is a place of stories. And, uh, uh, of course, that's one of the things that, that makes a, a Disney experience uh, um so different, you know, uh, from other uh, uh, amusement venues. But in terms of consistently immersing people into uh, a different world, a different environment, uh, when Disney does it right, nobody can do it better. I agree with you. And, I, and that's not why we go. It's why we go back and why we continue to go back. And look, one of the things, and I think this is why we are such kindred spirits what we like to do, Jim, is help people peel back, as I like to call it, the layers of the onion, the layers of the cake, whatever you like to call it. Because there is, the the more you dig a little deeper, to, to quote uh, Mama Odie, the more you dig a little deeper, the more you find out. And I think what happens is it doesn't spoil the experience, but it enhances you. The more you know, the more informed you are, the more you understand how things work and why they're there and the complete story that's being told using all five senses and 360 degrees. I, I completely agree that, uh, that knowing uh, uh, how things were done, why certain choices were made uh, brings an added appreciation because again, Disney does it so seamlessly that sometimes you don't pay attention. You don't realize how, how that is happening. But, but again, I, I, I'm serious for those who are listening. There, there probably will be uh, some spoilers, and there are people who, and I'm fine with that, who don't want to know how uh, a magic uh, trick is done. You know, I don't want to know what they do to my food in the kitchen <laughs> as long as when it comes out on my plate. This is really appealing. So, so, so I understand that concept, but... I have found that uh, the more I look into it, the more I study, the more I, I see even some of the things that weren't chosen, uh, you know, really helps me to go, wow, how did they do that? You know, um, I, I, I talked with Alice Davis uh, uh, one time and she said, you know, uh, 
none of us knew what we were doing because it had never been done before. And uh, that's certainly true of uh, the Pirates uh, of the uh, Caribbean attraction, which opened in 1967. So this year we're celebrating the uh, uh, 50th anniversary of the uh, Disneyland attraction. And uh, I'm sure you get asked an awful lot, Luke, because I always get asked, you know, well, what is your favorite Disney attraction, Disney theme park? And and I think people are expecting me to say, you know, one of the roller coasters or um, because of my great love of uh, films like Peter Pan, to, to say Peter Pan. But, but I find myself uh, always uh, uh, using uh, Pirates of the Caribbean as, as my favorite uh, attraction, even though it's 50 years old. Uh, I, I think it is an iconic Disney theme park attraction. Certainly the story of uh, Pirates has been told differently in, in each of the Disney theme parks. At Shanghai, I, I, one of these days I'd love to see uh, uh, that version, uh, which, is, again, is more uh, themed to the uh, uh, film franchise. But, by gosh, Pirates of the Caribbean is one of those attractions that, Everybody can ride, no matter your your height or your age or your weight or, or whatever, uh, and it's constantly appealing. Each well, time you go through, you're seeing something. You know, you're not in an omnimover, uh, you know, like a doom buggy or whatever, and because those curve around so that it it blocks your sight and and also helps uh, the sound, you know, in, in that area. But in Pirates, you can look anywhere. You can look to the one side, you can look to the other side, you can look to the front, you can look up above, you can look behind you, whatever. And even though it's the same basic story, um, it's a different experience. Well, and I think to your point, <clears throat> excuse me, when you talk about people's favorite uh, attractions, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> I agree with you. I go back. Sorry, to the Haunted Mansion. I go back to Pirates. And I think a lot of people, even before the the movies came out, right? Obviously, the, the fifth movie in the series is now coming out as a whole new generation of Pirates fans. But I think even before that, it always had those things. Look, Marty Sklar said, you know, it's the, the quintessential. It is the signature attraction. We measure everything we do against Pirates of the Caribbean, Right. John Hedge I, talks I, about. I would certainly agree with Marty. I'd certainly agree with you. You better I, agree I, with I Marty. Think that, I think that's still <laughs> true today. <laughs> you know, um, and uh, there you go, Marty. You got the the Jim Corcus seal of approval there. Uh, but 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 yes, and and again, I think because it was um, such a, a entertaining attraction that it became so successful. Um, a, a, as a film franchise, because and I think the film franchise uh, tapped into things that um, people weren't always consciously uh, aware. You know, uh, as somebody was saying, "Well, you know, the Pirates of the Caribbean isn't isn't uh, uh, supernatural." You know, uh, and and uh, the films, you know, really. And I said, "No, no, Pirates is." completely supernatural. Yeah. Uh, several years ago, I talked with uh, Tony Baxter. I talked with uh, 
uh, Bob Rogers of uh, uh, BRC, who does all those, uh, who was a former Imagineer and does all those uh, entertainment things, and and to a couple of other Imagineers, and they said, well, Jim, you know the story of of pirates, and I said, oh yeah, they, these uh, pirates of the, <laughs> the Caribbean, they're they're sacking the town and they set it on fire, and and, and they pay for their greed by you know becoming skeletons, you know, and, and they said, no, no, no. The story of Pirates of the Caribbean, Here, here's one of our first secrets. Mm-hmm. The story is you're in a dead pirate's dream. You're in a dead pirate's dream. You're in a dream. You're moving slowly. You're drifting after that waterfall. You see, you see the skeletons. The, the skeletons are all standing still. And then as you move, now there's some movement. But the movement can sort of be explained by, well, maybe it's the wind, you know, maybe it's a, a, a trick of the light or whatever. And then you go through this long, dark tunnel and bing, you're, you're out in the bombardment area. And my gosh, they're alive and all of this is going on and all of this is going on at once. And then at the end of the Disneyland ride, you're in the arsenal and uh, the pirates blow themselves up. And so, basically, what has happened is, as you were going through those skeletons, what you were doing, and I'm sure you have listeners who uh, know more about ghosts than I do, (laughs) you were getting in commune with a dead pirate who was reliving the very last moments of his life. And with some ghosts, you know, they're not there to interact with the living. What they're doing is they're constantly repeating the same loop of a certain section of time. And so whether this was Walt's, I don't, I know it wasn't Walt's conscious decision, but if it was, you know, a a subconscious decision of basically you're reliving. And that's why you can go back on the attraction over and over again. And it's not like, Oh yeah, I see this. I know how this is happening. Is you're reliving the last few moments of a dead pirate's, uh, life as, as you go through that and you're floating just as you float through a dream. And then, and I love this at Disneyland, you know, you're chugging back up the waterfall and, uh, that, you know, pulls you out of the dream just as going down the waterfall took you in. Now, Mark Davis never cared (laughs) for chugging back up the waterfall. So when, when he was able to make a decision out in Florida, Basically, you see the last scene, and then it's step out of the boat to the left and go up to, you know. And to me, it's anticlimactic, but I don't know whether that's just because I grew up with the Disneyland attraction and loved that and, and loved, of course, uh, uh, the Blue Bayou. So this is interesting, Jim, because I had actually understood it uh, and maybe read into it or was a little bit differently. I had understood. How how, how, how have you seen it or how have you been told? So my understanding was that as you go through the Pirates of the Caribbean attraction, you're traveling through time. And so as you Mm -hmm. begin the attraction, you are in the present. That's why you see the skeletons on the beach. You see... I, I, my one, my actual favorite scene is when you see uh, the pirate, you know, the, the skeleton of the pirate sort of at the helm in the hurricane scene. But when you go yeah. down the waterfall, you're traveling back in time. 
So that's why every mm. skeleton you see before that, every pirate you see before that is a skeleton, right? The, the the ones in the beach, the ones in the jail, they're all skeletons. As soon as you go down that, you're traveling back in time. You're, you're actually, you're, you're reliving and you're going through that section of time. And then when you go up the moving walkway, and again, there was, you know, Mark Davis wanted some other different things when you came up, but you're right. actually traveling through time again to the present so when you do exit out into the gift shop the things that you see in there the props that you see on the walls they're antiques because they came from an earlier time those are antiques of the time period that you would just pass through see and i i think this is one of the reasons why people love pirates is that there's so many interpretations that that you can put into this you know it's not like you uh, go on the uh, 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 Snow White ride or the Alice in Wonderland ride or the Pinocchio ride or whatever, and you have a different story to tell <laughs> or a different interpretation of why those story elements are there. And, and again, you know, the reason why you see skeletons in the beginning is because, of course, as you know, Originally, it was going to be a walk-through attraction, and so Walt had already put in steel and concrete and all that, and then when he came back from the New York World's Fair, he said, hey, I saw how neatly those small world uh, boats worked, and and, uh, my gosh, there's not going to be enough space underneath New Orleans Square. We're going to need to go underneath uh, the berm, underneath the train to the big show building, on the other side. And, and they said, but Walt, we, we dug all of this. this. He said, yeah, we're going to pull out the steel and, and all of this very expensive decision. They said, but we've still got this hole in the ground. And he says, Oh, put some caves in there, put some skeletons. In there. <laughs> and so Mark Davis hated it because he felt, you know, you're going chronologically. And so you should see the skeletons at the end. You should see, the consequences of uh, uh, of you know uh, what they what they're doing they, the consequences of you know uh, uh, forcing themselves on on these women and and you know uh, all of this and then of course when they made the uh, uh, changes in ninety seven so pirates weren't chasing women they were chasing food one of the reasons for that is because uh, just like lust. Gluttony is one of the seven uh, sins, and greed is one of the seven sins. So at Disneyland, where you see those guys, you know, pulling this chest and they'll never be able to make it up, now you're paying the consequences for that. Now you're a skeleton. See how stupid you were when you were, <laughs> you were spending all your time on, on this because you can't take it with you when you go. And And again, I bring up Mark Davis, but uh, I think one of the things that a lot of times people forget, too, is these Imagineers, and you've met a, a lot of them, they're human beings, mm-hmm. you know? And, and they have their own ideas, and they have their own agendas, and, and just because they're an Imagineer and an Imagineer that you respect and may have been actually involved with the attraction doesn't always mean they were right, you know? I, I, I remember talking to, to Mark and saying, you know, I just love the background work done by Claude Coates, and Claude Coates is very famous as an Imagineer uh, to tell the story 
with the backgrounds. He came from animation backgrounds and all this. You know, it, rather than with character, do it with backgrounds. And so when Walt combined uh, Mark, who was strong with characters, with uh, Claude, who was strong with backgrounds, you know, you, you've got an, an absolute uh, hit. But then Mark was going, well, you know, I did, uh, I, I suggested some of those backgrounds. Uh, <laughs> you know, all, all of them were always fighting for, for the, the recognition, whereas just like in animation, uh, Imagineering is a collaborative art. You know, you, you work with, with all of that. You know, and, and even though Mark drew those sketches uh, of the pirates and the poses, and, and thank heavens, you know, that concept art uh, exists, uh, some of those faces actually came um, from sculptor Blaine Gibson. I was talking with Blaine Gibson, and I said, well, it, it, so all of those pirate faces, those those were from Mark. And, and he said, no, some of them from Mark. He says, but you know, on Sundays, my wife would drag me to church and I, I was going, <laughs> you know, I, I've got these things to do. I've got to work. And I hated being in. So what I would do is I would sketch some of the people sitting in the pews. He said, so some of those uh, pirate faces, <laughs> <laughs> figures you see were people who were attending church on Sunday. <laughs> and he said, of course, some of these we had to exaggerate. And, and here's something, and maybe one of your listeners can uh, do this. Here's, here's another secret. Um, the auctioneer, you know, mm -hmm. one, one of the most elaborate audio-animatronic figures ever made, uh, even, even to this uh, time. Most, most pirate figures had maybe, uh, you know, three or four movements. On the average, maybe about seven or eight. The pirate, uh, the auctioneer, 27. And, and I said, and so the auctioneer is based, and he says, well, Mark came up with an auctioneer, he says, but you know, I used one of my friends in uh, Imagineering uh, for the face. I said, okay, well, who? He says, no, I, I can't say. It, it, it wouldn't be right. Uh, please, tell me. You know, and uh, as I was preparing for this podcast, I started to look through, you know, uh, some of the photos that I have, and um, there were two of them of uh, Alice Davis. Uh, uh, costuming the auctioneer, and I'm taking a look at the face without the beard, without the hat, all of that looks an awful lot like a very young Rolly Crump. Mm. So uh, those of you who are listening, you go back, you could probably find those pictures too. I, I think one is printed in the, uh, the Jason Sorrell book, which is an excellent book to have in your library there. And or or maybe we should ask Rolly. Rolly still, or maybe he doesn't even know. <laughs> but the, but the auctioneer was so precise that his uh, latex lip uh, could be um, or latex skin could be hooked individually uh, to the lip, so the lip could actually form vowels. And kind of, and Disney doesn't do that anymore because. Um, it wears out the skin too fast. It's a maintenance issue, and they figure you're only going through here, you know, a couple of seconds. Uh, you're not going to see that. My, uh, Mark told me, he said, uh, I apologize to Walt. I said, no, no, it, it's too complicated. We could have done like a, a Charlie McCarthy thing, and that, that would have been fine. And he says, and Walt goes, no, 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 it's great. It's great. You know, it, it gives something extra. It, it, it's something more. And and, uh, you know, that, that was the uh, uh, Walt f philosophy. Well, t tell me something about pirates I don't know. <laughs> well, obviously, I can't tell you anything you don't know, but but I do. And and because you mentioned well, Walt. Or, or you may have a different perspective here. <laughs> 
Well, I, so I want I want to go back to Walt because I want to talk about the very early incarnations because that was one of the things that had always fascinated, right? And much like the mansion, it went through a, a lot of different machinations, but it really does it, it does and it did like so many things start with Walt and and Mark Davis tells a story that you know one day Walt comes to him he's like you know I, I want to do an attraction on pirates and you know maybe Pirates of the Caribbean and in one sentence in in, in a matter of seconds he came up with the idea for the attraction and the name. But originally, and I know you know this, it was going to be that that walk through wax museum, uh, you know, through that basement where you could really. Well, originally they weren't sort of go through a, a lot of different villains from history, and then eventually they they narrowed the focus to pirates, and you were going to have this this star figure telling a story, right? And, a, a rogues gallery, yeah. yeah but all these Captain sort of, Kid, Captain Morgan, yeah. Right, you're going to go through these these different vignettes in in the the background and eventually in the early 60s mark davis did a you know more drawings of a much more detailed museum talking about the the dark side of delta city which sounds like a song or a star wars movie installment (laughs) so um but you're right blackbeard and captain morgan the pirate not the liquor were going to be in this uh this this museum and Mark, da- you know, Mark Davis, obviously, his, his his signature is all over it. The characters became more uh, animated, more almost cartoonish than the than the historical, more serious, more because at one point, you know, if you think about it, uh, Jim, New Orleans Square and that whole area was going to be a, a relatively, you know, dark place with this uh, Pirates of the Caribbean attraction and the, the Haunted Mansion type attraction. But the idea of it being that this walkthrough it was really intriguing to me. Like I almost would have, I mean, it was a lot of issues that I think it would have had, but you would have gone through all these different tableaus, like a tavern and a town square, the seaport, a lot of these things that we see in the current, uh, the, the current iteration, the, the beachfront. Yeah, a, 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 a seaport on fire, yes. Right, all those things and, were there and, originally and were brought over. Well, actually, uh, uh, Walt, of course, as a kid, um, would, uh, uh, there was a little island, uh, over, uh, uh, in, uh, 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 that, uh, he as a kid and he and his friends would go over and they'd play pirates. And Walt's first idea of a pirate's place was even as early as 1954 before, um, Disneyland was, was even, uh, uh, built because he wanted that section where, uh, at Disneyland where Frontierland and Adventureland uh, uh, Connect, it was more of a Magnolia Park-type area. He wanted that at, at New Orleans area. In fact, on uh, uh, that opening day uh, show with Bob Cummings, he says, down on New Orleans Street over there is Dixieland Jazz. And, and, and so you had the, the, the chicken plantation and uh, uh, Aunt Jemima's uh, pancake house were all done in the style of New Orleans with the Roth iron uh, railings and and all that, and he had Herb uh, Ryman uh, do up a sketch uh, where it would progress, and then, yes, you had New Orleans, and then a little further down towards the edge of New Orleans, that's where you you had the pirate section. You had Bluebeard's uh, Den, and you would have a Pirate's Mart, which was a a shopping area and all that, and from there, he had Sam McKim come in and, and do more of a detail, and the walkthrough was going to be underneath mm-hmm. New Orleans Square. So there would be plenty of room. And uh, 
in 61, uh, it, you're right. Uh, it, it, you're exactly right. That's, that's when Walt came and he came up with the name of Pirates of the Caribbean. Walt would do that all the time. People mover. People don't realize that Walt came up with that name, People Mover, and was just supposed to be a placeholder. He figured somebody would come up with a better <laughs> name for it. But what it did is it moved people, so it's a People Mover. That, that People Mover thing, that's what we're going to do. But it's the same thing with Pirates of the Caribbean. But, yeah, underneath there, starting in, starting in 61, Davis uh, primarily was doing the walkthrough, and, and you would go underneath. And so you're going down, so it's this whole underground, so it, it, it's going to be spooky, and there's, there's different rooms, and there was going to be a tour guide, and it would be about 50 to 70 people, and you would start um, in the harbor. So you'd be walking through the harbor, and on your left-hand side would be uh, a tavern, and so you'd be looking in the tavern, and, and you'd see these tableaus or... Uh, uh, there'd be a, a window or whatever, and then it curves around, and there's actually a full-size ship. And you go on a gangplank onto the full-size ship, and um, there's sort of a curly Q path that, that you take, and then you go off a ramp on, on the other side, and, and you're going into a, a, a town square, and there's a fountain and, and all that. And, and one of the last tableaus you see is... Uh, uh, the seaport in flames. Now, he had Mark do this because Mark was great in terms of opposing characters because, again, since they're stationary, you don't want them, you know, the typical wax figures with their hands standing at the side and all that. You want them, just like in animation, in, in some extreme action, you know, pulled back or, or curved over a table or uh, 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 something like that. So... Uh, you know, immediately you, you can you can sense what this is, and there'd be dramatic lighting. You know, I, I, I saw uh, Mark's concept uh, sketch of uh, Henry Morgan, and, and he was up on these uh, uh, steps, but the light was coming from underneath. And uh, just like at Halloween, as everybody knows, when you hold a, a, a flashlight underneath your face, the shadows go in the wrong directions. Instead of the, the shadow for the nose going underneath, it goes over the top and on. So there's a frightening, un, un, unreal type atmosphere. And uh, Mark went through um, three different versions uh, of this before the World's Fair. And um, at one point, they were going to have a uh, pirate uh, towards the side of each of the tableaus that would be explaining some of this. But again... Remember, this is early 60s, so this is before, you know, uh, audio animatronics, which come with, you know, 63 with the Tiki Room, and then you don't have the human figures until Lincoln in 64. So these were what were, you know, basically called electromechanical. So you have electricity working a mechanical thing that, you know, has limited movement. So, for instance, the hippos in the Jungle Cruise were electromechanical, so they could go forward or back. They could go up or down. Uh, they could open the mouth or close the mouth, and that's all they could do, you know, uh, a handle. So you would have a pirate, and maybe he was sitting on a, a chair that was turned backwards, whatever, and he was over at the side, and he would give um, a, a little bit of a spiel. So it's, it's very similar to what Walt had in mind for Edison Square, the harnessing the electricity 
um, uh, uh, show that evolved later into Carousel of Progress. And uh, Mark said that, you know, he was doing all these great sketches, and he said, but I was also running into trouble. I was, I was doing these real pirates, and he says, the more I started researching these real pirates, they were pretty dull. And very non-Disney-like. Very non-Disney-like pirates. Very non-Disney-like. And, and he says, uh, and, and many of them died after uh, uh, contracting uh, diseases in, in, in body houses, you know. <laughs> in, in the, so it should have been body houses of the Caribbean if you really wanted to have the pirates there. But... Um, so uh, he says, well, but when Walt came back from the fair, he was so excited how people had responded to Lincoln as, as a real figure. And also, you know, uh, the boats in terms of moving a large number of people, not just a group of 50 or 70 people. You could you could do that with the first two boats, you know, uh, going through. But that addresses a problem that, that all these attractions that, that originally start out as this idea of a walkthrough or a museum, right? Mansion went through a lot of incarnations where it was like that too. The reason why we've never seen it is because the problems that plague the, the, the idea in the 60s are, are still today, right? So if you let people go through on their own, how do you gather those people? How do you get them to walk through at the same speed so you've got that good operational efficiency of the attraction if you have somebody how do you, how do you, how do you get them to walk through at all right I, without I, stopping I went right. to the disney family museum in san francisco <laughs> I'm, I'm stopped in front of one exhibit for a half hour you know examining it and that's why the the family museum is a full dare i say almost two-day experience because we yes. have to go at our own pace if we were in these vignettes and tableaus we would be stopping to look and picture and selfie and all these things at our own pace even if you had that that real guide with you right and then when you get to the idea of well we'll let people walk through and we'll have these animatronic you know relatively simple animatronics what you really are doing mm-hmm. is just sort of walking by you know a, a, a macy's store window you've got these little vignettes but it really is sort of the the i almost want to say the, really the, the typical a, a wax museum display. as right. you're saying it's really like a window an automated uh, window display, which can be fascinating, but it is limited <laughs> in its entertainment. Right, and and, I think, and, and again, and limited limited in the experience itself from a guest perspective too. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mark said, uh, once the decision was made to do audio animatronics, he said he had to go back because audio animatronics are expensive, especially in those days. So we had to cut back down on, on the number uh, of, uh, of figures. There's, there's still over 100 figures, audio-animatronic figures, in the attraction. But, uh, for instance, in the walkthrough, uh, Mark had like 30 pirates in, in uh, the <laughs> tavern tableau. So you had one pirate who's forcing a, a, a woman over a table trying to get a kiss. You have a, a, another set of uh, half dozen pirates in the corner looking over a treasure map and with a knife, you know, pointing at it. He says, once you had audio animatronic figures, I had to limit, you know, how many I, I had. So I had to really simplify, you know, the scenes and, and, and make them um, 
you know, uh, uh, so effective, so so strong uh, there. And uh, he also had to make them know, fun, I, too. Right? I think he had to make the scenes. Fun. Look, it's like Jungle Cruise. If you would have made Jungle Cruise a depiction of what a real Jungle Cruise would look like, you know, animal, you know, predator and prey, you have to make it yeah. a little bit more whimsical. You have to make so you can't use these real pirates. You can't reuse these real scenes in order to keep it no. Disney-fied and certainly keep it enjoyable, too. Now I'm thinking of audio animatronic animal poop in, in Jungle Cruise <laughs> to make it more realistic. But, but, but yes, and, and in fact, too, pirates are terrible people doing terrible things. And so you have to exaggerate them. You have to make them uh, comical, mm-hmm. you know, and, and they're just a bunch of overage boys uh, who are being rowdy you know, to take the edge off of that. So, right. so for instance, in the auctioneering scene, uh, Walt was concerned, you know, uh, uh, about that. And he even talked with Mark about that. He talked to Claude Coates about that. And so one of the things they did to alleviate that was they put up all these banners that say, buy a wench for a bride. And just by doing that simple thing, what happens is, these are not pirates who are, who are just taking these women for their own, you know, uh, uh, foul uh, uh, deeds they're going to be doing. I'm, try, I'm trying to be sensitive for your it, listeners it, it here. Made, it made but, what the pirates did seem less barbaric than it really was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, here's a bunch of bachelors who can't find a girl. <laughs> right. you know? It was like a because very early pirates, Tinder. They're, they're, they're dirty, they're smelly. So, so, so they want to buy, you know, uh, they, they want to, to buy a girl. They're and, just and looking, the Jim, they were just looking for love. That's okay. all. They just wanted to that's find it. a good woman. That's it. And, and, and so you, you, you stick them, you know, uh, you, you stick them with a, a bunch of pigs, three little pigs. You stick them with three <laughs> little pigs. Uh, you, you stick a pirate with, with his uh, uh, foot hanging over the, the bridge there and, and Mark Davis says that's the only time in my life that I saw that a dirty foot with hair sticking out of it would make people laugh. And, um, you know, the interesting thing is, here's another secret, uh, the voice of that pirate with his uh, foot dangling over, that's ex Atencio. He's the voice of that pirate. We go through that and we don't pay attention to the voices because, you know, the voices are just so wonderful, they just seem right. Uh, the voice of the auctioneer, Paul Freese, mm-hmm. who was uh, Boris Badenoff, the, the ghost host in the Haunted Mansion, uh, the Pillsbury Doughboy. He, Ludwig von Drake? Ludwig von Drake, how could I have forgotten <laughs> that? And he's uh, several other pirates. Uh, uh, Phil uh, Ravenscroft, who's uh, 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 Tony the Tiger. Uh, he's the voice of... Uh, you know, when you have those trio of uh, minstrels there uh, uh, singing by the donkey, uh, he's the minstrel with the accordion, and he's also the voice of the dog because he did dog howls and singing <laughs> in Lady and the Tramp. And, and uh, Thurl is also the one uh, uh, hanging on the, the lamppost. The dr- and at the end of the attraction, and he's buff. originally— he's buff. I mean, I don't mean buff as in he was well, he like you know, worked yes. out a lot. He was buff, buff from country fairs. <laughs> yes, and so, um, and he's in the tiki room too, for crying out loud. Thurl's all over the place. But at the end of the original Disneyland attraction, you know, you have the pirate— 
on the uh, explosive uh, barrel and he has a pistol that, that he's firing, that's also the voice of Thurl. And in fact, that particular pirate was named by the people who operated the attraction Thurl. And then when, in, uh, when there was uh, uh, a rehab of the attraction, that pirate was moved over into the um, uh, cantina scene, so he's now on that top of that uh, barrel of wine where the bullets have gone through and shot, and the wine is spewing out through the, the barrel into uh, people. And that was uh, one of uh, Mark Davis's uh, original concept sketches. And they later, you know, incorporated it into the attraction. I, I think a lot of people need to uh, chill for a moment when changes get made uh, to pirates and have to think, okay, now, it, does this change plus things? Does it make it better? Because even when Walt was alive, he was constantly changing attractions. When, when he was alive on the, on the Jungle Cruise, that's when they added in the elephant bathing pool on on the toad ride they got rid of the demons that were just you know two-dimensional on on flat pieces of uh, uh plywood and changed them into three-dimensional figures and and nobody's going wait a minute that's a classic <laughs> attraction from 1955 <laughs> you know and and i think um, uh for instance tim irvine who who was uh, in charge of adding in um uh the jack sparrow figures uh to uh uh, pirates did an excellent job because the pirates that we all love, the Pirates of the Caribbean attraction we all love, still exists there. You can ignore Jack Sparrow, you know, and still enjoy that ride. Or if you are only familiar with pirates, and this is hard for me to believe, the first Pirates film was, what, 2003? But now when people think of Pirates of the Caribbean, that's what they think of is they think of Johnny Depp. So you've got a whole generation that's expecting to see Johnny Depp right. in there. Uh, I, th I think she did a wonderful job of integrating the character so that it works with the entire attraction without destroying what was originally there. Right, and everything that was the, the no pun, well, I guess pun intended, the bones of the attraction are still there. And when you add Johnny Depp, I loved it because it brought a renewed interest for a whole new generation of people that might not have gone on the attraction itself, right? So we're mentioning Johnny Depp and we're mentioning Thurl and we're mentioning Paul Fries and you mentioned Exitensio. And when you, you mentioned him, this was another one that was on my list. I think Exitensio in this attraction is such a poignant example of Walt Disney. And what I mean by that is Walt being able to take people from his team out of their comfort zones and say, you are going to do this. And they say, I don't know what this is, or I wasn't trained for this. And he goes, no, you're a storyteller. And what you're going to do is tell stories. So when you pull Exitensio, who animated for three decades, right? He worked on Pinocchio and Dumbo and things like that. And you say, mm -hmm. okay, X, now you're going to write the script. So the, the <laughs> takeaway is he had never written the, the person that wrote this Pirates of the Caribbean script never wrote a script before. And when Walt came to no. him, X like, I, I think Walt thinks I'm somebody else. I don't think he's talking to the right guy. <laughs> and Walt said to him, and, and this, uh, you know, Jim, we've heard the story over and over again from different people. Walt said to him, yeah. uh, like, I know you can do this. And with that one yep. sentence, he went from animator 
to writer, right? And so he also wrote the lyrics for the song. So he pulled something out of X and all these other artists that they had never done before, right? And then he goes on to write things for for Adventures Through Inner Space and he uh, Haunted Mansion. Well, and so- well, he, 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 he writes the script for Haunted Mansion. He writes yeah. the song lyrics for Haunted Mansion. He wrote the song lyrics for uh, Pirates. He said... Uh, if you had wings. I, I just put, yeah, I, he says, I just put together a couple of phrases and I figured uh, uh, Walt was going to pull in the Sherman Brothers or somebody to finish that up. It, and he said, I had to write the lyrics in such a way uh, that each verse was self-contained, so you you because you don't know where you would hear it in the attraction, so it had to be self-contained, short enough and self-contained, so that it could blend with the next verse that you heard and 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 whatever. And and I was so heartened when I talked with him, and he says, "I don't know those verses. I have to, I have to have the words <laughs> to, to, to sing with that." And here's a special secret for just uh, WDW Radio uh, people. We were talking about the voices. Here's something that you really don't see listed anywhere else. I know this person. I talked with her. She is celebrating her 100th birthday this year. Um, you know, is the scene where they're dunking uh, the magistrate, and everybody calls him the mayor, but if you look at the original script, if you look at the original uh, publicity, he's called the magistrate, which is like a mayor, but it has different <laughs> duties. And, and the wife is coming out and said, Carlos, you know, don't be cheeking. <laughs> that is the voice of June Foray. Hmm. June for Yes, and <laughs> you're shocked, aren't you? June Foray did a voice for a Disney a- a- attraction. She certainly did. Voices for Disney animated cartoons like Grandma Fawn Mulan and Grammy Gummy in The Adventures of the Gummy Bears. and uh, She was even the voice of uh, Lucifer the Cat in Cinderella. That was her first uh, Disney voice thing. But she did that, that voice, and I, I said, it sounds Hispanic. She said, well, I can do a Hispanic voice, and she did it. Apparently, she played a Hispanic uh, telephone operator on an episode of Green Acres. <laughs> And 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 in in those days, if you were an actor, that's it. You know, yeah, I can come in and do a right. uh, eighty year old uh, Chinese detective. Uh, I I can do a, a a native. You know, they had Italians playing Native Americans. Well, you, know, you say yes, and then the you cavalry. right. You say yes, and then you figure out how to do it. That's the smart yes, thing to do. You never it. say no. That's absolutely true. You know, and and one of the things that people miss in that that scene where the pirates are are chasing the women. There's a small turntable, and and I'll bet some people may remember this. Others go, really? I never saw that, where there's a rooster chasing a hen. Now, there's actually a a bigger story behind that, because Blaine Gibson not only sculpted the pirates, he sculpted all the animals. And he grew up on a farm, so he sculpted this chicken, and he got approval for it, but there was no budget to do any other sculpts, so all of the chickens had to be based on that chicken. And he said, the only thing that irritated me is I had to take one of those chickens and change it into a rooster. <laughs> all right, wait, I want to I quickly go back to your voice for a second because I will see your Carlos's wife at the window, and I will raise yes. you, <laughs> I will raise Uh-oh. you, the pirate with the hook. At the well, and one of the ones in the jail, that was Jay Pat O'Malley, 
who was Colonel Hathi in Jungle Book. She was Tweedled, uh, Tweedledee. He was Tweedledee and Tweedledum. And the voice of Cyril in one of my favorites, The Adventure of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. And, and, and J. Pat O'Malley's most infamous credit was he was the one that Walt brought in to teach Dick Van Dyke how to do a Cockney accent. <laughs> that, that is so the you truth. Can thank, and, you can and, thank and or blame. Is, is, <laughs> he's not Cockney, you know? He, right. he didn't know how to do it. But again, go, take, go teach uh, Dick Van Dyke how to do a Cockney accent. Yes, sir. Yes, so, and just real quickly, I'm, just quickly going back to X for a second, because I think one of the things that makes this, again, we're talking about this being the, the, the quintessential attraction and why the music works so well with the scenes is because I think he did what Mark Davis did, right? He took something that was very serious and made it very, very, look, he pulled a, a Sherman and made it simple and singable and memorable. And then yeah. he pulled a Mark Davis and made the lyrics very, very lighthearted, right? And and so he was able to do it very easy because he made it something fun and funny that would make people want to remember. And then obviously when you bring, um, uh, you know, George Bruns and stuff in it, that's sort of the perfect combination. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and, and I love that one lyric he wrote, you know, I but were loved by our mommies and dads. <laughs> you know, which again, you know, softens up. You know, these people who... They're, they're torturing, you know, the, the head of the city to find the treasure. They're, they're auctioning off women. They're, they're, they're stealing things. They're, they're setting the place on fire. They're getting drunk. Oh, but they're just sort of big kids, you know? <laughs> right. Boys will be boys. <laughs> right, and, they take a very serious, very scary, you know, very, uh, you know... Uh, um, <laughs> Something that was very, very serious and adult, and and they add whimsy to it with just the way they're portrayed, both visually and in song. And and, and we all accepted it. We all saw on. It, it was so seamless. It was so natural. And um, again, you know what what the attraction captures too is not uh, actual pirates, but but the pirates that we remember from. Uh, uh, movies like uh, Captain Blood and Treasure Island and 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 those type, you know, um, those are those <laughs> pirates are. Well, they you, and, know, you and, know, and they make you know look like Johnny Depp made pirates lovable and attractive and fun and funny as opposed to you know what they were in real life. And and Johnny Depp does his own voice in the attraction. I'm, I'm, I, 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 that, uh, I have a lot more respect for him because of that, because, uh, a, a lot of times, you know, uh, you get, uh, uh, likes, you know, so, so for like, uh, uh, Woody from Toy Story uh, toys, it, it's not Tom Hanks doing, uh, uh, uh the voice it, it, sometimes it's Colin Hanks doing it. Uh, uh, Eddie Murphy's brother does, does, does his voice, you know? Um, for Mushu on, on, on some of these uh, uh, things that, you know, aren't worth their attention. So that's good. And as long as we're giving credit uh, to people on the attraction, and I think we need to do that because a lot of times people don't forget that there's real human beings behind all of this who, you know, who uh, uh, suffered and, and struggled and, you know, sometimes put things together with duct tape and, and paper clips <laughs> and all that. I think one of the unsung heroes of uh, Pirates is uh, Mark's wife, Alice, mm -hmm. Alice Davis. 
And, uh, you know, she always used to joke that she went from um, uh, little children to dirty old men because she had previously done the costumes for Small World, and now now she's doing, uh, you know, uh, pirates, and she's doing all this authentic uh, uh, stuff. And the very famous uh, story, of course, is, you know, she's doing the costumes, and she goes to um, uh, WED, uh, which was Imagineering, you know, and, and said, you know, uh, we probably should do a, a backup set of, of costumes because, you know, when you're making something, it's often easier to make, you know, a, a, a second copy of it rather than come back months later or years later or whatever and try and, and duplicate that. And uh, Dick Irvine, who was uh, president of WED, said, no, we just don't have the money. You can't do that. And uh, Alice just had a bad feeling about that. But then she realized that the bean counters had absolutely no idea how much yardage it takes to make a costume. So she just ordered double and made two costumes and put one away in, in a cabinet. And two weeks, two, three weeks after the attraction opened in 67, there was a fire in the attraction interestingly enough, it started in the burning town area. So thank heavens, you know, the Anaheim police department had insisted <laughs> right. that there be an off switch because Yale Gracie's fire was so realistic. He said, we need to have an off switch. So we know what's the real fire. So we, and, and Gracie's fire was just mylar strips and a fan and, and, and lighting. My gosh, the guy was just a genius. Um, the wizard of wed, the yeah. wizard of wed. And so, um, Anyway, there was a fire, and uh, the sprinklers went off, but, but some of the audio-animatronic figures uh, were damaged, and the costumes, of course, damaged, but some damage came from the sprinklers, you know, because the costumes were not meant to be out there in the rain type thing. And uh, so the attraction has only been open two, three weeks, and Irvine uh, comes into her, and, and she only has... Um, uh, Four seamstresses. So it's her and four others. That's it. That was the It took him about a year to make, uh, you know, uh, those costumes. And he comes in and he goes, how long is it going to take to make new costumes for, for, for those, those pirates? Because, you know, this is our most popular attraction. We want it down as little as possible. How much overtime is this going to take? You know, what, and Alice uh, said, well, let me think. And she walks over to the cabinet, opens it up, and she goes, well, maybe a half hour. <laughs> and, and she says, Irvine didn't know whether to strangle her <laughs> or, 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 or to fall down and, and, and kiss her toes. But from that point on, it was then standard practice that for every attraction that had costuming, you do three sets. And um, uh, so... Uh, Alice just saved the day. It, it, I, you've met Alice, haven't you? So I'm going to tell you, Jim, in the, the 12 years or the however many, gosh, 14 years or whatever, I, I've been doing this this Disney thing. I have been so fortunate and so blessed to meet so many amazing people, uh, people who have become friends, much like you, people whose work I look up to and admire, like Alice Davis. And if I look back... And it was all to end tomorrow. One of the most remarkable experiences I ever had was going to Alice. She invited me into her home, and I spent 
hours there walking and, and basically touring her home and, and sharing stories with her. The interview that I, I was able to do with her was one of those that I said, man, I don't care if anybody, nobody else listened because I love just listening to this wonderful woman tell these stories, but I will tell you, and I'm not going to spoil it for you. It's episode number 193. In the 12 years I have been podcasting, I never have ever had to edit anybody for content except for sweet little Alice Davis. <laughs> she tells a story as only Alice Davis can. If you've ever heard her speak about and doesn't pull punches. she does doesn't not pull, pull punches. punches. The story is in there and you'll hear how I had to creatively edit it about the, the, the pre-opening of Pirates of the Caribbean and the aforementioned auctioneer. No need to expose your superstructure. Um, it is one of my all-time favorite moments as I look back on a, a decade of WWE Radio that I ever had to add again. That was, story, that was episode number 193. You talk about characters, Jim. Alice Davis is one of those incredibly talented, wonderfully generous uh, characters who more than earned her status as a Disney legend for so many reasons. Well, and, you know, when Mark was alive, when when you saw the two of them together, uh, the thing that stuck out for me is she would always step over to the side or towards the back to be in that so that the focus, the spotlight, was always on Mark. She did that and, during and, the interview, and the interview was about her. <laughs> yeah, and, and also I, I found that she was as pr protective as a mother lioness uh, for Mark. Uh, uh, the first time I met the two of them was at a Disney Anna convention out here, because uh, I had met Mark separately, but I had not met uh, Alice. So the first time I met the two of them together was at a uh, Disney Anna convention out here in um, uh, Florida. And the Disney Anna uh, 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 managers, supervisors, were having Mark sign, and the line was so long, they wanted him to go on for another, you know, hour, two hours. And Alice stepped in and said, Mark will come back. <laughs> and because she could see that he, he, he was tired out. The, the two just loved each other. And, and I'm sure she showed you at the, the house the, uh, um, uh, the letters and Valentine's cards and love letters that uh, – uh, he illustrated and sent to her from from all over the world. And that's what I was going to say. Like, she talked so lovingly about him and their relationship. You know, I was there to talk to her. I wanted the focus to be on her, and she wanted it to be on her husband. She put him front and center. And you're right. She toured me through her house where those Valentine cards, and, and when they were separated by distance, they weren't separated in terms of the way they look. They, they look... They are a true love story. You can see how and why they served as part of the inspiration for um, the film Up. You know, the beginning of the film Up, because the the love that you that they shared, that she continues to share even after his passing, is incredibly remarkable and moving. What what a great story for Valentine's Day, right? Absolutely. Absolutely, and 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 when uh, when Mark was alive, Mark would uh, and and I would interview him. He would say, "Oh no, you should talk to Alice. Alice tells this story much better." <laughs> he 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 loved her uh, uh, as well. You know, one of the things Alice told me too, and I don't know whether this is in your podcast or not, is when Pirates opened, uh, she and her four uh, 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 four person department would go in each morning to uh, uh, to check the wigs and the costumes, which 
is not unusual because, again, sometimes costumes, especially with audio animatronics, will will wear out from the inside or, or there can be a spill of hydraulic fluid or whatever. But one of the things they did is they took in their own makeup kits and they would put makeup on the human figures and then powder them so that it would look more realistic. <laughs> uh, today, today, Disney just paints them. And uh, with the redhead there, uh, uh, Alice said that uh, uh, people don't... Re- oh, here's a great story, too. I- I'll get to the redhead in a second, <laughs> but I want to say this before I forget this. In that scene with the pirates chasing the women, uh, Alice uh, went down to the machine shop and had them come up with special wire bras for the women so that when they ran, their breasts would bounce up and down naturally. <laughs> so they would look you. Disney probably doesn't realize that. Okay, but, but on the redhead, she says, people don't realize, you know, we make them look like they're real figures, but, uh, you know, when you make the uh, audio-animatronic figure, you know, it's a shell, and it's not necessarily a complete shell. So she said, below the redhead headed uh, a woman's um, uh, bosom and her hips, it's just this two-inch pipe going up through the center to keep her up straight and to, you know, have the cords and all go up uh, uh, through that. She said, so I had to come up with a special corset that attached underneath her breasts and then to the um, top of her hips. So she's got that hourglass figure. She says, it's all just illusion. It's all just illusion. And that's exactly what storytelling is. There is a lot of of, uh, figurative smoke and mirror. So, all right. So, Jim, listen, we could probably talk, knowing us, for six more hours about pirates. I want you to share with me. We we, we already talked 45 (laughs) minutes before this podcast even began. I have a feeling there might be a a second segment about this. but, But give me one more quick secret or story or that, that you want to share about the Pirates attraction? Oh, gosh. Uh, uh, there are so many. Uh, let, let's talk about Beacon Joe. Beacon Joe is a character who um, is uh, uh, out here at, uh, on Florida, on the rivers of, a, of America, and he, he's sitting out by his shack, and he's supposedly you know, watching the depth of the river and, and all of that. Well... Disney will reuse sculpts, and so that sculpt actually came uh, from Pirates of the Caribbean uh, in two places. First off, that sculpt is the the guy on the rocking chair in the Blue Bayou rocking back and forth, and also the standing pirate in the uh, cell trying to tempt uh, the dog. So so the audio-animatronic figures are... um, very versatile. They played different parts, you know, throughout that. And, and again, one of the things that I wish we had out here in Florida that is out there in California is that whole blue bayou, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, uh, I, I just love it. And the fact that it's always night and it's what Dick Nunes called, uh, thematic dining. He, he used that term in 67 when it opened with the attraction because it was ready to open earlier and Walt said, but Pirates isn't ready. And he says, that's part of the experience of the Blue Bayou of seeing, you know, uh, those boats go by. And he says, so we're not going to give people part of a part of an experience. We're going to wait. And so Walt never saw Blue Bayou open, never saw uh, Pirates open, unfortunately. 
but thematic dining where the food and the service and the atmosphere all tie together. And it was the very first restaurant that was in an attraction, you know, and Walt was just so innovative. You go, holy cow, <laughs> you know, and, and, and Walt did see the model for um, uh, Pirates. It was 40 feet long. And each of the figures could be moved. So as a director, he could come in, and he did. He'd move things around. And he even added, the very final scene added to that model was the auctioneer scene. And ironically, it was the only scene that Walt saw uh, fully mocked up. He saw that um, a couple of months before his his death at the uh, Wed uh, Warehouse in uh, Glendale. They mocked up the uh, the entire uh, auctioneer scene, and they put Walt on a dolly that had a chair on it, and they pushed him through uh, several times at the same speed that the boat goes, which is roughly about two feet per second. And so Walt got to see you know the whole thing, and uh, there was a lot more dialogue uh, going on. There, there were two pirates who couldn't afford to buy. Uh, uh, wenches, and so they were, uh, they, they were, they were shaming some of the, the wenches that were up there. And uh, when the the auctioneer was, was talking about the uh, uh, the uh, um, uh, buxom uh, uh, bride in blue, uh, the the billy goats would neigh, you know, uh, uh, derogatorily. And but but Walt got to see that, and the reaction I heard from X and from from Mark was, oh, he just loved it. He just absolutely loved it, and uh, he was so excited that, that guests were going to just hit. And here we are, 50 years later, still talking about it, still loving it, still being amazed uh, by, by all of it. And, uh, yes, if the listeners want to hear more stories, I, you and I both have plenty more, but uh, that's all the time we've got for now. All right, so my... So my, all, my, my... It, 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 it's all been a dream. It's been a Lou Mandela dream. And maybe if you hear it again, it'll loop again for you here. All right, so my last one, and my last one because I'm a rec- recovering attorney is going to have like four in it. You you talked about um, the Blue Bayou and the restaurant, and, and I love, love, love that dining experience there. At one point, the, the Disneyland version of Pirates was going to sort of have that, that Blue Bayou dinner theater and and as you were eating this creole food the pirates would be around sort of performing around you and then walt said no 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 i want the, the food to be the show and the atmosphere and they sort of separated the two but then you were yep. talking about the um uh the 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 characters and the uh the models for the audio animatronics so my last thing is i'm going to dispel uh, a myth or an urban legend or a rumor and you I'm sure you've heard this too that as you're in the final scene or before you get to the final scene and you see the pirates in the jail cell um, legend has it that one of those pirates is based on Sid Caesar now a lot of you are going who is Sid Caesar <laughs> I, I've, I've never heard that I've never heard you've that. never heard the Sid Caesar all right, so first we have – I think we have to explain because we're a lot older. So. We may have to explain who Sid Caesar is, yes. <laughs> so uh, Sid Caesar wasn't just in Greece too <laughs> for his um, – but he was uh, an early sketch comic and, and stand-up comedian, and, and he worked – a very with- popular TV show 
uh, a, a lot of people's Sid careers. Sid Caesar Hour, uh, yeah. Uh, started uh, with Sid Caesar, uh, Mel Brooks, uh, Howie Morris, uh, Carl Reiner, uh, all of that. So uh, among comedians, Sid Caesar was considered uh, uh, a premier comedian. And if you want to see him in action, see uh, it's a mad, 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 mad yeah. world. So you, you get a sense of uh, who Sid Caesar was and why he was so popular. Look, your show of shows, which was a, a weekly show, it was an hour. hour. I mean, it was a, a weekly sketch comedy show like it was monstrous in the 50s i mean yes. it was as big as it got and, but anyway and, and, and done live done live yeah exactly yeah. um but so going back to your point and something that you mentioned too you know a lot of people see one of the pirates it, it does sort of he has a lot of the facial features that sid caesar has but uh, suppose and, and this goes back to your story about blaine gibson no one pirate is based on somebody specific. Yeah, maybe the auctioneer is inspired by uh, maybe, a friend. Maybe, yeah. Right, but he was inspired, inspired by, by him. <laughs> right, he is not... Is, uh, is the right phrase. Yeah. So, so there's exaggerations. There's exaggerations, yeah. Right. But listen, there are so many more other secrets and so many other stories. I didn't even get to the Jets helmet in the, in the queue, but I, I think... <laughs> I think I got to leave him with a little bit of a tease, but I think Jim or, 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 or the comparison with the Florida attraction for exactly. Brian Atlab. Exactly, we'll have to come back and do this again. But look, you know, I think going back to how we started this segment six hours ago was, you know, why is this a classic? Why is this a best of the best? And I and I think it's because it is an amalgamation. It is the combined effort and love of the best of the best, right? It, it's Walt's vision. It's Mark Davis's characters. It was brought to life by by Blaine and, and Wetha Rogers and the environments by Claude Coates and Exitensio with the storytelling. All of those things coming together and the exquisite attention to detail. I mean, that's why, you know, John Hench said what he said, you know, Everything is important, but the importance really is is in the details, and they are abundant into here. And, and when you add some of the things that we talked about, you're not changing things. You're just adding more to the story and adding more to, into it. And I think that's why it continues to remain a much-beloved classic because they continue to put more and more into it while still leaving the bones, the skeleton, the heart of that attraction the way it was you know, when it was first envisioned back in the 60s. Well, and that entire crew came from animation. So all of them put in all of those skills that they had making those classic animated features into this attraction. And with Walt's passing, you know, because operations was pushing to get this open uh, December 66 for the Christmas season, and Walt went to Roger Brogy, who was doing a lot of the mechanics on the auto animatronics, and he said, Roger, don't let them push you. If it's not ready, it's not ready. We're not going to open it until it's ready. And unfortunately, it meant that Walt didn't see it up in operation with the people. But his cast was the same people who had, you know, made the greatest classic animated features of all time. All of that experience and, and skill put into this attraction and I'm sure one of the things that made it very special was we're making this special for Walt. We right. see that Walt is, is is struggling a little bit here. We're going to make this the best for Walt. It pushes so many emotional buttons. And, you know, despite 50 years of all this great new technology we have, 
you know, uh, the back projection of faces for audio animatronic things, all, all of these uh, holograms, stuff like that, the attraction still works. Right. The attraction still and Marty Scalari brought up Marty earlier. Marty told me, he said the walkthrough, he said, Walt would have made the walkthrough work. It would have worked. But, my gosh, Walt always wanted it to be more than just work. You know? It, it wanted it to be something spectacular, something outstanding, something that people had never experienced before. And uh, that's Pirates of the Caribbean. And that is why it is a classic. And if you want more stories like this, I invite you to listen. Jim, You, when I, the way I introduced you is very true. You are a friend. You are a raconteur. You are a great storyteller. If you want more stories, Jim has, I think, 14 books, the yes. Vault of Walt series. 14 books, and the end of February, the 15th book comes out. It's called Gremlin Trouble. And it's the entire story of the unmade Disney animated feature from World War II that was going to be based on the very first book written by uh, author Roland Dahl called The Gremlins, about how the gremlins were attacking uh, and sabotaging RAF uh, planes. The very first published uh, uh, novel by Roland Dahl, and he came out to Hollywood, he worked with... Um, uh, Walt Disney worked for two years. They invested over $50,000 on it during 1942-43, where $50,000 really meant something. <laughs> and in 1997, I had the chance uh, uh, to do an extensive interview uh, with Bill Justice, who was assigned to work with Roland Dahl to do the character designs and all that. So when you see those designs in the uh, reprint of the uh, book that's out there and all that. All that came from Bill Justice. But Bill told me all these great behind-the-scenes stories, including how they couldn't find Roland Dahl one night because he was staying <laughs> over at uh, Ginger Rogers' house. You know, and um, I also go through all the comic books that uh, Walt Kelly had drawn of the Gremlins, uh, Disney's different attempts to revive the Gremlins, like the Epic Mickey video game. Uh, the Warner Brothers uh, Gremlins. I was you talk about falling hair? Falling hair? You know, and, 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 and I even cover um, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, <laughs> the William Shatner Twilight Zone one, and I include the story that Rod Serling used to tell privately where um, Richard Matheson was the writer, and they were going on a plane, and so Serling uh, invested in having a full-size blow-up of the Gremlin and stuck it on the outside of the window where Matheson was going to sit. But remember, in those days, they were propel propeller uh, planes. So as they were going to the seat and the, and the uh, plane was starting up, it blew the thing off the wing. <laughs> so all of that money and all of that you know, God. So everything you want to know about Gremlins, and especially uh, a Disney unmade one, Gremlin Trouble, yeah, 14 books, and the 15th one is, is coming out, and... Uh, you better pick them up because as as uh, soon as I get a girlfriend or a life, I'm stopping writing books. So that's it. <laughs> so I will tell you quickly. My favorite gremlin is not the gremlin from. Gre it, it is not. Um, it is not the gremlin 
from Gremlins from 1984. My favorite Gremlin is Mel Blanc as the Gremlin from Falling Hair with Bugs Bunny. Yes. Back from the four, I guess it was the mid '40s, somewhere around there. Uh, I'm gonna yep. link to where people can get all of your books. I'm gonna leave you with a question, Jim, and it's the same question that I'm gonna leave my friend, the listener, who I want to answer this on Facebook or on Twitter or on in the comments over at www.radio.com. What is your favorite scene in Pirates of the Caribbean? Oh, uh, the uh, auctioneer scene. Hey, uh, ab- absolutely. I, I, I uh, love that. The, the uh, Flaming Town scene is a little scary. It's actually a little scary for me. It was as scary as a kid and as an adult even more so. It's like, there's fire. Uh, what, yeah. what, what are we going to do? And, and, and the chasing around uh, uh, the uh, maids in the city. Uh, again, just seems artificial to me because they're on turntables, so they're all moving at exactly the same uh, uh, space. Auctioneer scene, just so much going on, so so much fun, and taking a look at the expressions, not just of the auctioneer, but everybody else in the scene. And uh, up above, you have the the, the pirate with the the leg and the, the parrot up there. Listen very closely as you go underneath the archway because the parrot starts to sing a parrot's life for me. My favorite scene is still Hurricane Harbor where you see the the, the skeleton pirate at the helm. Mm. When I was a little kid, Jim, I, I was I, I had a, 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 the old Revel model. There was a model that you could buy of that oh, scene. Yes. I was an awful model maker. I was horrible, but I remember <laughs> spending hours and pouring my little, you know, nine-year-old heart and soul into trying to make this as and, authentic. And, and, and glue all over your fingers. Glue everywhere. And... I had model glue everywhere. But it, for me, was like it was my way to, you know, create a little bit of Disney at home. That is what you help to bring to is a little bit of Disney magic wherever people can go. We must, my friend. Do this again. Thank you so much just for being you, My buddy. pleasure. My, I always listen to WDW Radio, and everybody should. All right, now give me your best pirate impression. Time for our Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week, where I invite you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World history or see how well you pay attention to the details, not just in what you see, but sometimes in what you hear. If you think you know the answer, you can enter via our online form for a chance to win a Disney prize package. But before we get to this week's question, we're going to go back, review last week's, and select our winner. So last week, I had a simple where in the world could you hear this question where I gave you a line from a current or former attraction or show and asked you to identify where in Walt Disney World you could find it. And your quote last week was, a long time ago, I made me a rule, let people do what they want. That was not, let me repeat, not meant to be a really, really bad impression of John Wayne at the great movie ride who told you to hightail it out of here Go right ahead if that's what you have a mind to do. But a long time ago, he made himself a rule. Let people do what they want right before he warned you about some really rough territory that you're heading into. 
Pilgrim and that he would think about turning back if I were you. Anyway, that was the answer I was looking for. John Wayne at The Great Movie Ride. If you called in the voicemail and gave me a really bad or good impression of John Wayne, you got extra credit. Not that it counted because all the entries were randomly selected and you were once again playing for the 102 ways to save money for not Walt Disney World book, all seven of my virtual audio tours, the WW Radio Magic Band cover, now for the Magic Band 2.0, WW Radio stickers and the hot and cold travel mug. And last week's John Wayne winner randomly selected is... Sharon McClellan. So, Sharon, you use the online form. I have all your contact and shipping information. I will get your prize package out to you right away. If you played last week and didn't win, that's okay. Because here's your next chance to enter in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. So, it is Valentine's Day this week, and I am a hopeless romantic. So, of course, I have to ask a question about the holiday. But let's make this one a little tricky, why don't we? Because as you know, Walt Disney World is actually a great place to celebrate Valentine's Day with a great romantic meal at the Boathouse or Blue Zoo or California Grill and so many other romantic restaurants. Then you can take a carriage ride or a boat ride or watch fireworks on the beach. But I'm sure you also know that Valentine's Day is celebrated every single day in Walt Disney World in an attraction. But if you think that's the question... Come on, that would be too easy. Clearly, it's Walt Disney's Carousel of Progress. But let's have some fun this week, and I'm going to ask you a three-part question about Valentine's Day in Walt Disney World. So here we go. Question one. At the beginning of the Valentine's Day scene in Walt Disney's Carousel of Progress, Father tells us that it's right around the turn of the century, but who does he say is getting ready to celebrate Valentine's Day? Part two, father's going to take mother out for a Valentine's Day dinner that night, but where's the daughter going? Question three, before he goes out for a romantic dinner with his wife, father thinks he needs a drink. No, not because he's dreading spending the evening with his wife, but because he's thirsty. What's he in the mood for, and what is he going to get to drink before the Valentine's Day dinner? So there you go. Question one, who does father say is getting ready to celebrate Valentine's Day? Two, where is their daughter going for Valentine's Day? And three, what is father in the mood to go and get a drink of before his romantic dinner? You have until Sunday, February 19th at 11.59 p.m. to go to www.radio.com, click on this week's podcast, and in the show notes, you will find our online contact form. And this week, you're going to play for, and you know what? I'm going to give you an extra prize. All the, the book... The audio tours, the magic band cover, stickers, the hot and cold travel mug, and I will also send you a WW Radio t-shirt as well from our brand new shirt shop and logo store at www.radio.com slash t-shirts. So also be sure and include your shirt size. So good luck, happy Valentine's Day, and have fun. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you again so very much. And my appreciation and gratitude um, this week is more pronounced than ever because it is the 10-year anniversary of WW Radio. The first episode went live back on February 11th, 2007. So this week has been uh, amazing for me and 
the love and the support and the messages and the photos and the emails and the tweets and the Facebook that so many of you have sent to me either on my Facebook profile or to me personally or, or on the page uh, means more to me than you know. Um, but, and I'm not going to, I promise myself, I, I promise I'm not going to cry. I promise myself um, I, I will keep this short, but I cannot tell you how grateful I am for the privilege that you give me by allowing me to share my passion for Disney with you through the show and through so many other ways. Uh, Since that very first long and painful six and a half minute episode in February of 2007, I have always said that this show is for you and with you and by you in many cases. And uh, I am incredibly, incredibly humbled and thankful to you and for you that you have uh, allowed me to do this and share my passion for Disney with you. Uh, I'm going to talk more about it this week and the anniversary and I really want you to please join me uh, this Wednesday night at 7.30pm Eastern for WW Radio Live as you know I do a live video show every week on Facebook this week especially it's going to be an all call-in show where you if you like can uh, not just be part of the conversation in the chat but I would love for you to call in be heard on the air be part of the show Share your favorite episodes or interviews or events or, or memories or, or stories with me and everybody else. And this sh- and this week's live show, uh, again, is is really going to be by you as we sort of recap the past uh, 10 years of WW Radio. If you haven't already, please like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Radio. Also, be sure and turn on notifications. I'll put a video, a uh, really short explainer video in this week's show notes showing you exactly how to turn on notifications so what that when I do go live on Wednesday nights or randomly from the parks, you get notified on Facebook. Speaking of thanks, I also want to thank, uh, it's now been about two years since I launched the WW Radio Nation. I want to thank all the new and current, uh, whether you've been a member for a week or for two years, uh, the hundreds of you who are part of the Nation family, including some longtime members, like Marnie, Darth Vader, Tervis, Marie Ramondo, Sarah D. Leon, Clint Larson, Gary Ebels, Marla Chan over in California, Thomas Franklin, and uh, my friend, who I am so incredibly grateful for your time and your sacrifice and your service, Mr. Corey Bassett. Uh, thank you so much to all of you. And if you want to not only help the show, but get some of the exclusive monthly rewards like scavenger hunts, access to our private Facebook group, we do live group video calls once a month there's logo gear backpacks shirts i send out care packages every month from walt disney world and lots more please visit wdwradio.com slash support all right so i know this is going long so i will make it quick don't forget to please 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 go visit the brand new 10th anniversary v10 edition of wdwradio.com the site has been completely rebuilt from the ground up, it's easy to navigate, it's faster, there are more features, and there's more coming as well. Don't forget to sign up for our free email and soon-to-be-completely-revamped newsletter and download my free, brand-new, 102 Things You Need to Do at Walt Disney World at least once book and checklist. You can also connect with me uh, on Twitter. I am at Lou Mangiello, and I'm also at Lou Mangiello on 
Instagram, and Pinterest. Of course, I would love to hear from you. If you have a question you want me to answer on the show, you can email me, lou at www.radio.com. Call the voicemail. Be heard on the air at 407-900-9391. Better yet, I'd rather see you in person, shake your hand, give you a hug. So visit the events page over on Facebook, and please come and join us for the next Meet of the Month in Walt Disney World. It's going to be Sunday, February 26th. It is over Princess Marathon weekend from 6 p.m. to 7.30 p.m. at the Food Truck Park of course, because food at Disney Springs. It's located between Bongos and Starbucks. It is after all the princess races that weekend. So hopefully you will be rested up and hungry and would love to get to you. Listen, come alone. Bring the whole family. Anyone and everyone is welcome. It is, of course, free for everybody. And please RSVP if you can over on the Facebook page. Look for other events that are upcoming, including uh, our cruises this summer, our cruise next year, some other events, D23 Expo as well. Please also go and check out the brand new LouMangelo.com and see if maybe I can help you turn your passion into your profession with some personal mentoring or uh, calls or group coaching. I want to help you turn what you love into what you do. And of course, and again, I'm going to try not to get weepy, uh, this show could not happen without the time, talent, efforts of so many people. Thanks again to Becky from Mouse Fan Travel, who has been a partner and a sponsor, and more importantly, a friend for nearly the entire 10 years. Uh, check them out over at mousefantravel.com. I recommend them because it's who I use, and more importantly, it's who I trust and who I love little timmy foster over at celebrations magazine you have been here since the very beginning please check him out over at celebrationspress.com and of course this wouldn't happen without you and all i ask is that if you like the show please help spread the word right tell some of your friends invite them to be part of the community and family tweet out that you're listening share a link to your favorite episode on your Facebook profile or page or in your favorite Disney group. And if you can, take a second to just rate and review the show over on iTunes. Thanks to you. We have more than 1,200 five-star reviews. We hit number two overall among every podcast on iTunes last year. I want to thank some recent reviewers like Janelle K who says, lose my walking partner. I've been a Disney fan who gets to visit uh, every five years or so. The podcast keeps me from missing Disney too much with a weekly visit. And I'm going to continue listening as much as I can. Love the DSIs and the walkthroughs. And I listen as I walk and have managed to lose and keep off 20 pounds. Thank you so much for the Disney Escape. Uh, Janelle, thank you for listening and congratulations. But listen, I'm sure you feel good, which is more important than how you look. Uh, MJLG says, positively wonderful with a plethora of spectacular guests. There's There's no shortage of entertainment. Who's not only a fantastic and fun host, thank you, but the positive energy is infectious and inspiring. That is what I want it to be. And Kay Cooper from the United States says, what a great podcast. About a year ago, I discovered Lou's podcast and have been listening to all of them in order from number one. Yikes. I usually listen when I walk my dog. My wife and I are planning to move to Disney in August 2018 after our son graduates and the podcast of getting me through the days. I cannot wait to get there. Uh, loose knowledge of Disney is phenomenal. Allows me to live in his shoes until I get there. I hope to someday say hello and shake his hand because nothing beats a handshake and a hug. Kay Cooper, I promise you that handshake and a hug when you get down here and become neighbors. Uh, if you want to leave a rating or review and maybe not sure how, visit www.radio.com slash iTunes and that will give you the in- exact instructions on how to do it. Uh, and finally, and most importantly, Um, thank you, thank you, thank you, 
um, you have given me a much greater gift than just your time than you probably know and understand and, and maybe I am able to articulate. Um, you have made this... You've made this Disney fan's um, dream that he never thought that he had come true. And all I ask in return is that you do that to somebody else. You know, if you have the ability to help make somebody else's true dreams come true, go do it. Um, because you've done that for me and it means more than, um, than maybe I am able to convey in words. You have positively and profoundly impacted me and my life and my family and the people that I am now able to reach through the show simply by virtue of you listening and the support and the love and the friendship that you have extended because we are friends whether we have met yet or not and the fact that you're listening this far in really proves that to me and for that I am grateful um, beyond what um, what I am able to find the words to say so thank you thank you thank you I hope that your dream, big or small, if you're dreaming about tacos, I hope that dream comes true and you have tacos. But if it's a bigger dream, I hope that comes true or you start heading down the path for it this week. And uh, I hope that you have the best week ever. I hope to see you on Wednesday nights or next week on the show or in Facebook. Thank you again. I love you. See ya. Hello, Lou Mangiello, and happy anniversary. Ten years. Oh, my gosh. It's Darlene Nagy from West Seneca, New York. And I am just so overjoyed for all of the years that I have gotten the chance to know you in person, in voice, in heart, with everything that has gone on every single adventure you have taken, me, my family, and our box family, our cruise family, our running team family, and I'm looking forward to the next 100 years. <laughs> I am just so proud of you and everything you have accomplished and the love and friendship that you have shared with me, my family, and all of the whole networking of people that we have now in our lives. If it wasn't for you, I wouldn't know all of the friends that I have and the family members that they've become. And here's to another, like I said, many, many years and all the new adventures I can't wait to hear about and that I'll be able to participate in. So cheers, hooray, hurrah from Darlene Nagy from West Seneca, New York. Hello and good afternoon, Lou. It is Justin, Fox member and part of the Disney Springs team. I just wanted to say a happy 10th anniversary to your podcast and many more. And uh, hopefully to get to see you real soon, soon in the next couple of weeks, here at the at our next meeting of the month as well. So I'll see you next couple of days. Keep doing what you do with the podcast for your 10th anniversary, and many more. Have a nice weekend, Lou, and hope to see you again very soon. Goodbye, Lou. Hello, Lou Mangiello. This is Andrew Thompson from Quinnell, Canada, B.C. Um, I love your podcast. You are the greatest ever 
and I probably kind of missed your your podcast for being on the air and stuff. That's okay. At least you're good at what you do, and I'm hoping everything is going all right with you. I, I love your podcast, like I said, and I love it when you do the Becky voice. It's so funny, and I hope you can do a Disneyland California podcast of your best rides, foods, or whatever you want to do. I'm writing my own Disney book, too, of Disneyland, so uh, keep up the good work and talk to you later. Okay, bye. Oh, shiver me soul. <laughs> me belly be feeling like a galleon with a load of treasure in her hold. <laughs> Another swaller may well be sending me to Davy Jones. Well, maybe a bite or two more won't sink me ship. <laughs> and me fine salty pork, matey. I be wanting for a fine pork loin. Maybe you can help me out a bit, eh? Uh, <laughs> oh, brush me barnacles. Now where be that little old fish dinner I've been a-craving? Hope that pilfering pussycat ain't beaten me to it. <laughs> Avast there, mateys. If ye been hankering for a taste of this here bird's peg leg, I be willing to share, I be. <laughs> oh, 